Hello everyone, I'm Dana Stewart-Bullock and this is Transformational Therapeutics. And today, because it's such a topical subject, I've decided to talk a little bit about mass formation psychosis, which has been in the news lately in reference to COVID and what's happening actually worldwide. So as per usual, I looked up the meaning of the words. So mass means large numbers. Formation obviously means to form. And psychosis comes from the word psyche, which has to do with animation, to give life to, to give soul to. So a mass formation psychosis is giving life and mind to some thought form that the population has adopted. And I've chosen to talk about this today because I was talking to a friend and she thought that I would have a somewhat different take on it from what is in the news. And because I see myself in many ways as a philosopher, the transformational therapeutics is a philosophy, and the word philosophy means love of wisdom, and I'm older now, so I consider myself a wise woman, so I thought I might talk about this. So this particular theory was originated by a Matthias Desmet in Brussels. And there are four criteria, according to him, that mass formation, he just talked mass formation, someone else added the word psychosis, that mass formation requires. And the first one is a lack of a social bond. And social connection improves physical health and mental and emotional well-being. That's been well proven. And there's one landmark study that showed that lack of social connection is a greater detriment to health than obesity, smoking, and high blood pressure. So lack of social bond is a prerequisite. Another prerequisite, there, there are four of them, is that people experience life as meaningless or senseless. The third one is the occasion of free-floating anxiety or discontent. And the fourth is free-floating frustration or aggression. So those four criteria are what form mass formation psychosis. And Matthias Desmet talks about it in terms of what has happened worldwide with COVID, with the isolation due to the pandemic, just the basic rules that have been instituted. And he studied it because he knew something was going on and he wanted to understand it better. And he said something that I thought fascinating. He was trying to figure out what made the attention of people worldwide so narrowly focused on coronavirus. And he found it a, a very complex situation and the fact that people were not looking at other tangential and secondary effects of all the measures being taken. So it seems like we all sort of panicked and followed what was dictated to us. But the other aspects or the fallout from it was not really addressed and, and not thought about beforehand. And some of that fallout was with the lockdowns and the isolation, what it's done to the economy, to people who were working, what it costs in the worldwide economy. And Desmet talks about looking at statistics from different worldwide organizations. 
And just asking these questions, which I just found fascinating, what would it cost to create sustainable food supplies for the entire world? Something like $300 billion. And how much have we spent on lockdowns and that sort of thing? What would it cost to get clean sanitary water for everyone who's dying of parasites? Okay, maybe that's $150 billion. Maybe it's more. But just the fact that we were focused as an entire population worldwide on this one thing brought him to this definition. So I wanted to look at it from the aspect of transformational therapeutics and from the different subjects that I've already done podcasts on, because that's how I see the world. I see it through the lens of transformational therapeutics and through actually the body through the physiology, the neurology, how the brain works, how the psyche works. That's how I see the world. And initially, I was on board as everyone else was. I was fearful. I can remember early on watching Andrew Cuomo every day for solace and, and comfort. But over time, having that fear come up, and I know it well because I come from a long history of trauma, and am working really hard to change that, I really analyzed it and thought, why is my prefrontal cortex, which I've talked about in other podcasts, so focused on the fear? Why did I choose to focus on the fear instead of other aspects, other things that are happening in the world? And so I decided to look more closely at the science. I know about the body and the immune system somewhat, I looked for parallels in the 1918 pandemic. I looked inside of me and what is my knowledge base. I also was diagnosed with an autoimmune disease. And I started asking questions, just asking questions because I had a lot of time sitting by myself. <laughs> and so I had originally, when I thought about autoimmune, I'd redefined it as I want to do because language is so important to me. The immune system is what protects us, and it's composed of cells. It's sort of the animal aspect of our physiology, and its job is to protect us by attacking invaders, you know, bugs, viruses, germs, whatever. Autoimmune, to me, means that that force of ability to attack has been turned inward on myself. I've had a long history of learning with particularly one osteopath, Ed Stiles, who is my mentor. And he used to talk about the 1918 pandemic, about how the people who survived were oftentimes those treated by osteopathic manipulative therapy. And knowing that our immune system, if it's healthy, can pretty much fight off any invader. So that's another piece of information that I put into my inbox. I was around during the AIDS pandemic, so this is not my first rodeo. I actually had the person to whom I was the closest in life die from AIDS. And I could remember, I remember little bits and pieces. It's fascinating to me that this man was diagnosed with AIDS and was put on AZT and shortly thereafter manifested non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. And at that point in time, I was consulting with a doctor whom I'd met, who was an MD, PhD. And this was in the early 90s. And I remember calling him in a panic. 
and saying to him that this man had non-Hodgkin's. And this doctor's immediate reaction was, oh, yeah, AZT causes non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. And I've never forgotten that. And then as I've done more research, particularly recently, because this pandemic brought up all of the memories I had around AIDS, just knowing that that particular drug had such an impact, it was supposed to save a life, and it did not. So that's something that's been in my inbox all along. And so I have less inclination to trust the medical community, even though I have been part of it for many years. So when this all happened, after I got over my own fears, and they were many, I started to really focus on the science. And to quote Candace Pert, who was the woman who discovered the endorphin receptors, she said, quote, first and foremost, I am a truth seeker, close quote. And I see myself as that. And so I started looking for the truth. I started looking at the data. And early on, I remember the numbers of the severity of this disease were, it was sort of like a 99% survival rate. And so it didn't make sense all the hoopla that was happening about people dying. And as I watched myself, in some ways, becoming addicted to the information that was coming through my computer, it brought to mind the information that I had researched many years ago, particularly in a book called The Brain That Changes Itself, the impact of computers on our brains, and listening to others who have since come forward talking about the targeting particularly by social media, of aspects of our brains, so that I know that whenever we are on a computer, it changes our brains. That I know. And watching myself become in some ways addicted to watching the computer, and I'm not very computer literate, like younger people are, but I could see the difference in my physiology and the need to keep checking and keep going back. I could feel the beginning of an addiction. And what I have done for a very long time, because of my early traumas and my own physiology, is I have used science to regulate myself, and especially my fears. Science and language. They were, they were the sort of the two pillars that, and anchors actually, anchors that kept me going. So having lived a history of subtle and not so subtle abuse and having learned to think outside the box and live outside the box, it was easier for me to take in the view from 30,000 feet. And each question I had, I would add to my inbox. And then I started listening to my gut and listening to my years of experience in the medical field, in the psychology field, and the understanding of human behavior. And I wasn't able to overcome my fears very well until more recently. So we're now over two years into this. And I remember in the beginning watching how the bodies were piling up in New York City and thinking to myself, what's going on here? If the survival rate is over 99%, why are all these people dying? What's going on? And so I just parked that question in my inbox. Over time, and as more information has come out, and as I've watched the incidence of positive tests, positive symptoms. And I've had friends who have tested positive and been able to survive beautifully with naturopathic interventions. 
And so all of these questions kept circling around in my brain, like, what is really going on here? And so I'm going to look at it even deeper. And why have we, as Matthias Desmet says, why have we all, in many ways, bought into this belief system, which, according to the research I've done, is not really based on good science. Not long ago, a week or two ago, I was in a store and there was an 18-year-old boy who was behind the counter. And he had a mask on and gloves. And now that we know it's not transmitted, it's an aerosol, it's not transmitted through your hands, I said to him, why do you have gloves on? And he said, well, you know, I had COVID. And I said, but you know it's not transmitted on surfaces. And he said, yes, I know. He said, but I had COVID and then I had the vaccine and I had myocarditis. And I said, how old are you? And he said, well, I'm 18. And I said, you're surely you're not having another one. He said, yes, I'm going to have the booster because I need it to go to college. And so I said to him, being the old wise woman I am who marched in the streets in the 60s, I said to him, why isn't your generation marching in the streets? Oh, he said, well, well I don't know. My girlfriend thinks I should get the vaccine, so I'm going to get the vaccine. I said, but you haven't recovered from your myocarditis. He said, yeah, I know, but I want to go to college. And that to me was so telling and yet so sad that this young man, 18 years old, wasn't able to buck the system. You know, I've always been on the outside, so perhaps I'm not the right person to be talking about this, but to endanger his own health, it just it was weird to me. And so I started thinking about kids these days and what's happened in our culture and why is this happening and i looked at i mean what we've lost way before covid ever happened in our culture in our society we've lost ritual we don't have the old rituals we used to have we don't have the connections i did a podcast on connection and how vital it is we've lost the structure in society we've lost the family units, the connections that produce structure. And so when there is not structure, what happens is chaos. And chaos is devastating. And I grew up in chaos, so I understand it. So out of the chaos that I grew up in came the reliance on language. That was the only structure I had at the time that was reliable. And out of that came transformational therapeutics. I watch, particularly with young people that I've worked with, the lack of regulation, and that means internal regulation, the ability to regulate your emotions, to regulate your physiology, to have a balance in your nervous system. The ability to self-soothe is lacking in our culture these days. If you just look at the incidence of drug addiction and eating disorders, and when I go back to talk about Candy Pert and her discovery of the opioid receptors, I remember her saying that for every receptor we have in our physiology, we have the actual substance that attaches to that receptor. So if you have an opioid receptor, you have an opioid somewhere in your body that attaches to it. And when you take an opioid from the outside, it attaches to the same receptor, but it sort of dulls down the system. And we had talked in earlier podcasts about oxytocin, and oxytocin is a peptide and a hormone that is released 
via touch and that relaxes you, makes one feel comfortable. Well, the oxytocin receptor can be taken over by Valium. So you can see that we have inside of us all the potential, and yet we rely on external substances because we do not know how to access those internal substances that would help us self-soothe. I find also, and I think this has a lot to do with spending time on computers, I see it in myself as things speed up. We want instant gratification, an immediate answer to any discomfort we have, any anxiety. I can't tolerate it. And so this is a culture of instant gratification. And it's obvious. You can see it everywhere. I also, just from my own experience, don't see people as being comfortable in their bodies being in their bodies for starters, but being comfortable in their bodies, I just don't see it. And for me, the body is so important because I don't separate the body from the mind. It's all one system. Because of the instant gratification and the way our culture is and the lack of connection and the lack of structure, we are looking for someone to come along and make life easier. And it's interesting because life is not easy. It's not meant to be easy. So in wanting that ease and wanting someone to take care of us, we are looking to either the government or medicine or other structures to make it easier for us so that we don't have to suffer. And in doing that, we may very well be setting it up so that in the caretaking, we lose many of our own liberties and our own autonomy. So going back to the beginning and talking about mass formation psychosis, and I'm not going to say this without judgment, it's just how I see the world through the lens of transformational therapeutics, through the lens of the body. I fundamentally believe that each of us is responsible for his or her own physiology and being in the world. On one of the podcasts, or more than one, I have talked about connection and trying to find a way to connect with another so that you're on the same page, so that you're in the same reality. And not only has the politics in our country demonstrated that how difficult that is, but now COVID has increased that and people are at each other's throats. And I think it comes from their profound anxiety and lack of real true connection. And so from the lens of transformational therapeutics, to ask why, if you look at the numbers and really look at the science behind what's happening, that if a virus has a 99% survival rate, where is the panic coming from? Why are so many of us falling into panic and judgment and denial of others, no matter what your beliefs are? It's tearing us apart. It's impacting our own liberties, and we all need to ask why. Why? 